chapter 23 today of the story. We're working straight from Genesis to Revelation, and we've just, uh, last Sunday, broken into the New Testament. So chapter uh, 23 is where we're at today. If you have that with you, you can turn there. Last Sunday, we celebrated a springtime Christmas, you may recall, as the second person of the Trinity took on human flesh and was born in a barn in Bethlehem. Today, we're going to look at the uh, ministry of Jesus, specifically in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I don't know if you know this, but all of the Gospels have a distinct or a unique perspective for our understanding of Jesus. If you're taking notes, let me, let me start with Matthew. Matthew emphasizes Jesus as king. Jesus as king. Matthew chapter 1, uh, Matthew traces the genealogy of Jesus back to King David. So he's telling us that God made a promise to David. Uh, the Lord said to David, one of your descendants is going to rule on the throne and he'll be king of kings and lord of lords for all of eternity. Matthew is telling us that Jesus is that king. That, that's, those promises made to David are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Mark emphasizes Jesus as servant. It's interesting that Mark doesn't include a genealogy for Jesus. Why? Uh, because servants' ancestors aren't really all that important. Why would you want to know the ancestry of a servant? If he's king, of course you want to know that. But uh, again, right from the beginning, the humble, serving nature of Jesus is emphasized. Be Jesus busily going about the, the business of God the Father is the emphasis of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Luke's Gospel emphasizes Jesus as man. Uh, you'll notice right from the beginning, he gives the most detail about Mary and her being great with child and having the baby and all the details that are common to mankind. In, in other words, uh, Luke wants to have all of us realize that we have a common bond with Jesus. He was a man, we're men, and that's his emphasis. Uh, if you look at his genealogy in Luke chapter 3, Luke traces his genealogy all the way back to, any guesses, Adam? Adam, right, exactly, and I remembered. So anyway, if you're Adam today, uh, we're talking about Adam in the Bible here, but uh, anyway, chases his uh, genealogy all the way back to Adam, the first man. John's gospel, final gospel there, emphasizes Jesus as God. And you see that right in John chapter 1, presenting Jesus as the eternal word. Uh, Jesus is the one who made all things. Uh, everything is under Jesus. So again, John's gospel is all about Jesus as being Almighty God, the second person of the Trinity. Uh, chapter 23, Jesus' ministry begins, and I'm telling you, as you read the story, it really does a nice job of weaving Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John into one story. I'm just curious, how many of you, I'll, I'll give you this designation, are still doing pretty good 
in your reading of the story. Can, can, I, can I see how you're doing? Yeah, lots of you. Keep up the good work. We're, you're in chapter 23. You only have eight more chapters to go. I just looked it up. There's about 140 pages left. So don't stop now. And I would say to others of you, if you're a little bit behind or maybe a lot behind, you can catch up with us. Uh, the whole purpose is that all of us together could travel from Genesis to Revelation together. Now, chapter 23 in the story, three times, the earthly cousin of Jesus is a big part of the story. How many of you can recall who was the earthly cousin of Jesus? And his name is, say it with me, John the, the Baptist. Okay, He wasn't a Methodist. He wasn't Presbyterian. He was the baptizer, okay? Uh, so we're going to focus on a time in John's life when circumstances were awful. Literally, this, this was like the low time, I, I think we can say safely, in John's life. Uh, he's struggling with doubt. He's struggling with frustration. He's struggling with uh, his life because of his situation. So uh, before we jump in to Matthew chapter 11, I just need to ask you a few questions. You ever had a season in your life where it felt like God kind of forgot about you? Ever had a season in your life where you were frustrated with the Lord and uh, you, you just didn't understand why he wasn't answering your prayers? Maybe you had a season of doubt going on. Um, maybe you had a loved one who you really, really were praying for. Lord, please work powerfully. Lord, work in this person's life, because I don't want to lose him right now. And you prayed hard, and it seems like no matter how hard you prayed, they weren't getting any better. I think most of us have experienced that. Maybe you're here, and you've had a child, a son, a daughter, a grandson, a grandchild, and they drifted away from the Lord. They drifted away from Jesus and God's Word and the church. And you prayed and you loved and you confronted and you cared. And no matter how much you prayed and asked the Lord to bring them back, it seems like they were still out there eating with the pigs, shaking their fist at the Lord. Um, perhaps uh, you uh, have experienced a marriage that's struggling. Maybe not your marriage, maybe even a marriage that was struggling in someone you cared deeply about. And uh, you prayed, and one of the spouses did everything they could to see healing brought back into the marriage, but the marriage just continued in a death spiral, and eventually it fractured. Um, again, uh, those are the kind of situations where we feel like, Lord, are you listening? Lord, do you care? Lord, are, are you involved here? What's going on? And here's what I want you to know. John understands those kind of situations. John the Baptist understands what it's like to, uh, to have situations where I'm confused and I'm starting to doubt. But here's what's interesting. Listen close. It wasn't because John didn't love Jesus. And it wasn't because Jesus didn't love John that this situation was going on. Matter of fact, if you have your Bible, go to John 11, 11. I want to show you something. It says that John was the greatest man ever born of a woman. That was from the, from the mouth of Jesus. 
So in case you're wondering, well, I think John had a problem. No, Jesus said he was the greatest man ever born of a woman. So how many, uh, how many people does that include? Like everybody who's ever uh, breathed air and, and walked on this. So it wasn't because John didn't love Jesus, and it wasn't because Jesus didn't love John that his situation didn't improve. Actually, we're going to see it only gets worse. So what do we do when we're faithfully serving Jesus and our circumstances turn very, very sour? How do we respond? No matter how much you pray, no matter how much you you talk with the Lord, the situation only goes from bad to awful. Uh, John's situation in John, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 11 is very instructive. I, I think we have here a situation where we can learn a lot if we'll pay attention. So I would especially encourage all of you, uh, if you've got a pen, if you've got a, uh, the part of the bulletin there, we have place for some notes. This might be the day, because here's what I know. If you're not in that situation now, are you ready? It's coming, okay? Because we all face trials of various kinds. Every one of us, uh, we are going to have situations that go very bad very south from time to time. So uh, just just take a few notes today because it's either for you now or it'll be for you later. And I suspect that most of us have some loved ones, people we care about who are in that situation. Uh, let me set the situation. Give me two minutes and that way you'll understand what's going on here in Matthew 11. Uh, John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. Um, John was called to be the forerunner, the announcer of Jesus to the Jewish world. You remember what his message was? What was, what was John's message? Repent. <laughs> the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, the Messiah, the promised one from the Old Testament, he, he's on the scene. Repent. Uh, the Savior has arrived. Okay, now, uh, different scene. Next scene, scene number two. Uh, on a trip to Rome... Herod Antipas, he was the governor of Galilee. Uh, While they were traveling, he was traveling with his family to Rome. He was smitten with his brother Philip's wife. You got that in your head? So Herod Antipas had a brother Philip, and his wife was Herodias. So it seems that they had a, a thing on the way to Rome and back. When Herod Antipas returned from Rome, he divorced his wife, and he married Herodias, his sister-in-law. When John the Baptist heard about it, it wasn't John's style just to let it go. Uh, John uh, was a proclaimer of truth, and when John heard about what was going on between Herod Antipas and Herodias, he confronted Herod with his sin. And Herod responds by throwing John into prison. Matthew 14.5 tells us that Herod Antipas would have killed him, would have killed John the Baptist, except that he was afraid of the people. He was afraid they might rebel, they might riot, because they really liked John the Baptist. They thought he was a great prophet. So Herod has John the Baptist thrown into prison, not just any prison. Listen closely. It's the prison called 
Macareus, not the Macarena, but Macareus, M-A-C-H-A-E-R-U-S. It's near the Dead Sea. Uh, they've done some excavating. It was a dungeon. It was dark. It was isolated. Basically, it was just dug out of the mud uh, around the Dead Sea. It was stifling hot. Okay, So Macareus was an awful place. And now John the Baptist, who introduced Jesus to the world, the one who baptized Jesus, the forerunner, the greatest man ever born of a woman, spends 18 months in this dungeon, riding away in prison. What was his crime? Speaking up against sin. Daring to speak up to Herod Antipas about his sinfulness, And the result was now he's in this prison, and now he knows that Jesus is traveling around all of Israel, healing the sick, healing the lame, feeding thousands with a lunchable. He's doing fabulous things. Now, you're John the Baptist. You've been loyal. You've been fearless. You've given your all. Jesus is your friend. You're living strong for the service of Jesus. And now you're chained in an underground prison. That's you. You're John the Baptist. You've been there for a year and a half, and I'm just telling you, John wasn't feeling the love. John wasn't feeling uh, really warm and and fuzzy towards Jesus right now. What are you doing? Why am I hungry? Why am I lonely? Why am I exhausted? Jesus, why aren't you answering my prayers? I'm praying. I'm seeking. Why haven't you come to my rescue? That's the situation here in Matthew chapter 11. Would you stand with me if you're able? We're going to read the first six verses out loud together. And uh, again, situation is tough for John the Baptist. Let's read together. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Let's pray. Lord, I I believe that you specifically inspired Matthew to write these words down. And, And you did that for all mankind, but you did it for us as your church family standing before you right now. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you wrote these words down so we could have someone that we can identify with, like how John's feeling here in these words. Lord, I, I, I know many standing right here, they've served you faithfully, they've lived strong for you, and now a situation has appeared that just doesn't make sense. Lord, I also realize there are some here today Um, who have someone they love who are in a situation like that. 
They're praying and seeking and knocking and, and asking, and Lord, it doesn't feel like you're answering right now. Thank you for getting these words written down and preserving them for us to help us today, 2017. Because the truth is, Lord, every one of us are going to face times of confusion and exhaustion and doubt. That's a part of what it means to follow you. Lord, I'm praying that you might prepare us for times like that. You've warned us that in this world, we will have trouble. So, Lord, I want to pray for myself. I want to pray for the church family. Lord, uh, help us to learn the instruction that you have available for us from your book. Help us, Lord, to dig out how this relates to us from John's life. Speak, Lord. We're listening. We're, we're ready to hear from you. And Lord, if there's anything sinful, if there's any garbage that's accumulated in our lives, Lord, if there's anything that's preventing us from being in right relationship with you, would you point that out right now? We want to be ready to hear from you. We want to be ready to respond. We want to be ready to take these words and put them into practice. But Lord, when uh, the throne of our lives is filthy with sin that we've not taken to the cross, that's not possible. So as you point things out, Lord, things that we've said with our lips that you call sin, if we've looked at things with our eyes and you call that sin, if, if there's things going in our minds, our attitudes, our motives that you call sin, would you make that obvious right now? Point it out, convict us of it. And Lord, we'll write that check of confession. Because <laughs> Lord, we're amazed you marked our accounts paid in full by the shed blood of the Lamb. That moment we said, yes, we believe, we receive you as Savior and Lord. Our accounts all, for all of our sin, it's taken care of at the cross. And right now we're, we're writing that check of confession on that account. Please wash Please cleanse. Please purify. We want to be back in right relationship with you. And Lord, my prayer is that uh, my friends wouldn't wait till Sunday to do this. Lord, help us to daily be about getting back in right relationship with you. Lord, might we daily invite you to do an inventory of our lives. Might, might we daily... Uh, run to the cross and write this check of confession whenever it's appropriate. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one strong voice, you can be seated. Verses 2 and 3, Matthew chapter 11. When John heard about the deeds of Jesus, he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him. This seems like a strange question. Think about who John was. Hey, Jesus, are you really the right one to come? Are you really the Messiah? 
or did I get it wrong and there's someone else? Uh, is, is there someone else coming and, and, and you're not really the one we thought? Here's what you need to understand. When a faithful follower of Jesus experiences tragedy, when, when a faithful follower of Jesus uh, is involved in a series of painful situations, it's difficult not to doubt. It's really hard not to doubt about the Lord's love and care and presence in your life. Matter of fact, I would argue it's normal. Sometimes we hit one of those seasons of suffering and we're thinking, oh no, uh, what's wrong with me? Why am I struggling? Why am I confused? Why am I doubting? And I just want you to understand it's normal, even for the best of folks who follow Jesus. Exhibit A, John the Baptist. You know, he's basically crying out, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, why don't you care about my awful circumstances? Jesus, why don't you help me? Don't you see I'm in prison for doing the right thing, for doing what you called me to do? Why aren't you helping me? Even the best and the strongest people in the faith, give me your eyes, need some assurance during these seasons. Even the best and the strongest followers of Jesus need some words from the Lord in times of suffering and great loss. There are times when you and I will be in the middle of pain and turmoil, we're going to begin to doubt Jesus. You can write it down. Well, I don't want to doubt Jesus. I don't want confusion. I don't want to be like this. And I'm just telling you, prepare for it. Plan on it. Understand that it's normal. How come you haven't brought healing to my loved one? Or more likely, how come you haven't brought healing where? Point to me. Lord, Lord, have you forgotten about me? Uh, what about my child? What about my grandchild? They're, they're living off and doing awful things. Lord, I keep praying every day, every hour, and nothing seems to be changing. How come this job situation is only getting worse? Listen closely. John the Baptist is no different than you or me. He struggled with confusion and doubt in his season of suffering. But here's the critical thing. You ready? Here's what you really want to write down. Okay, A, I, we're all, even the best, even the John the Baptist among us, are going to struggle with doubt and confusion. But in his time of distress and pain, John the Baptist knew where to turn for answers. And who did John the Baptist turn for his answers? Go ahead, you can answer. He, he turned to Jesus. He knew to turn to Jesus. Jesus was the place to find answers to his confusion. Jesus was the person to go to to deal with his trouble and his doubts, to get comfort and assurance in his time of great need. So that's what you and I need to remember, first of all, is when you're in one of these seasons, who do you turn to for answers? And, and the answer is, go ahead, tell me again. I've got to turn to Jesus. He's the one that I need to cry out to. I, I need to get on my knees. I need to get on my face. I need to cry out to Jesus first and foremost. 
And I would argue, if you're not regularly already getting on your knees and on your face, it's going to be really hard for you to learn that in your season of suffering. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, I would encourage you, practice getting on your knees, practice getting on your face when you're not in those seasons, and I'm telling you, you'll just know instinctively when, when you're in one of these seasons, I, I just got to run, got to get on my knees, need to get on my face and cry out to the Lord. Verse 4 is interesting. Because Jesus uh, doesn't scold John for doubting. I like that. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, uh, we'll go back and tell him, of course I'm the Messiah. What are you thinking? <laughs> What's up with you? Okay, so he doesn't scold John for asking hard questions. He, he doesn't just say, well, of course I'm the Messiah. And the third thing Jesus doesn't do, verse 4, which I would say if I was John, here's what I wanted. Jesus, come break me out of prison. Can I get an amen? You know, Come get me out of this dungeon. Come, you, you could do it. You're, you're second person of the Trinity. You can call down 10,000 angels. Come rescue me. He doesn't do any of those things. Look at verses 4 and 5. Here's what Jesus does and says. Jesus replied, uh, this is to John's disciples. They're going to go back and report. Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. Hey, boys, take notes. What are you seeing right now? Verse 5, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And Luke's account of this implies that those things happened right in front of John's disciples. You understand what's going on here? here here's, here's Jesus' response. Watch this. The dead are raised. People who've never walked before are able to get up and walk. Those who are blind are, are seeing now. Those who've never heard, they're hearing now. Those with leprosy, suddenly they're clean. Everybody's hearing the good news. Amazing stuff is going on. And they saw it with their own eyes. Jesus said, go back to John and present him the evidence. That's really what he says. Go back, give him the evidence of what's going on here in my ministry. Go remind John what the Old Testament said the Messiah would do when he came on the scene. Go remind John that Isaiah said in Isaiah 35.5, Isaiah 61.1, when the Messiah comes on the scene, these are the things he's going to do. Blind people can see. Lame people can walk. Leprosy is cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. Good news is proclaimed. That's what Isaiah said the Messiah is going to be about. And oh, by the way, Jesus is saying, these are the things I'm doing right now in front of you. Go back to John and give him the evidence. Go back to John and tell him, you know what? You've seen the things that only the Messiah, the promised Savior, is going to be able to do. And then, verse 6 is, is almost a haunting verse. Okay? Uh, verse 6, uh, Jesus says, I, I think something that's really striking to John, and I think it's striking 
to us at least it should be. Here, here's what Jesus says. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, Jesus says. Let, let that soak in. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. It's like a gentle warning to us. It's like a, a mild rebuke to John. John, don't let your painful situation, don't, don't let the trouble you're facing right now cause you to stumble and fall. This is bad, I get it, John, but don't let this situation you're going through cause you to fall down and stumble in your faith. So, here's my question. When you and I are in the desert, in the wilderness, and we're in a painful season of turmoil and doubt, when the Lord doesn't seem to be answering our prayers, when the situation doesn't get better, it gets worse, what can we learn from Matthew chapter 11? What, what should you and I be prepared to put into practice? What, what can we learn from this situation here in Matthew chapter 11? First thing, take your notes, here we go. Don't assume that your season of suffering means that Jesus doesn't care. That's the first thing that hits our brain, isn't it? When things are bad and you're praying and there's no answers and it only gets worse, well, Jesus doesn't care. Jesus forgot my name. Jesus is mad at me. I must have done something wrong. That's where we typically go with our emotions. Well, well, he's mad, he's forgotten, he doesn't care. Uh, instead, instead of assuming that he doesn't care, here's what I, I would say to you. When life circumstances are awful, where should we look? I'll get more specific. I'll look with you, okay? When, when things are really bad, there's a season of suffering, several episodes... Um, where should we look? And we should look where? Say it with me. To the, to the cross. It's that eternal reminder, oh yeah, He does love me. He does care. He, he is willing to love me with all that love has ever loved anybody. He, he is that wonderful reminder on the cross of the greatest demonstration of love in all of history Jesus literally taking our place, Jesus taking our nails, Jesus shedding his blood for our greatest problem. What is our greatest problem? I tell you this regularly, right, Balcony? What's the Balcony's greatest problem? Okay, Balcony, and what's the greatest problem of the folks down here on the floor? What is it? They're sinners, too. And what's the greatest problem of, of the speaker up here? What's it, the preacher? He's a sinner, yeah. Uh, so, in case you're wondering whether Jesus loves you, there's this eternal reminder, the cross, and I would go the next step in the empty tomb. Sometimes the empty tomb we don't think of so much, but that's the greatest demonstration of power in all of history. So you've got the greatest demonstration of love, Jesus taking our place on the cross, but early Sunday morning, Jesus literally, bodily, physically came up out of the dead and he defeated sin and Satan and death and he did that for me. And I got good news, you ready? He did that for you too. 
that's power. So, oh, I got, I got the, the greatest power in the universe, and he's on my side. He's for me. Matter of fact, he showed he was for me by defeating sin and Satan and death for me. In a season of suffering, remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember that he saved you from your sinfulness. He, he literally rescued you. He rescued me from judgment. The truth is, Jeff Ellis deserves judgment. Can I get an amen? Thank you for your graciousness. Uh, but so do you. Amen. Okay? But wow, did he show us grace instead of justice. Wow. I got to remember that. And now, uh, not only did he save me from hell and the lake of fire, but he made me a part of his royal family for how long? I, like, maybe I'll get like six months that I can be with him, right? Maybe I've eked out uh, a year. No, no. We are a part of his royal family. How long? For all eternity. Forever. Right. Okay. So, first thing, remember what Jesus has done for you. And yet, that's why we celebrate communion. That's why you got to go back to those elements. Oh, yeah, that's like the most basic thing. And I'm telling you, when the emotions start to run away, things are going south, you got to remember the main thing. Jesus loves me. Prove that love on the cross. Secondly, Jesus is all-powerful in my life. He proved that when he came up out of the tomb, defeated sin and Satan and death, and he did that for me. Now I belong to him. That helps. That helps a lot. It's kind of what Jesus was saying. Uh, second thing, uh, when the bottom drops out, um, look around. Okay, So look back at what Jesus has done for you, but I would also argue look around and look at the activity of Jesus right now, today, all around you. When we're in uh, the pits and we're doubt, doubting and we're confused, it's easy to miss all the amazing things Jesus is doing right now, today. And you're saying, I don't see much. I, probably. Which means that you may need to get out and you may need to uh, go on a missions trip with the boss to Uganda to go experience what God is doing around the world. That's why short-term missions trips are amazing. Okay? Because it helps us to see. It's not just our little, little dot in, in northern Michigan, but the Lord's active and alive and, and transforming this entire world. You've you got to get out and go see it. Well, what if I can't go to Uganda? What if I can't wait till next fall or, or next winter to go uh, to Uganda. Okay, um, how about joining Pastor Brant this next Wednesday? What do you mean? Well, there's like this mini little revival going on with our junior hires right now. And, and I would encourage you, if you're like dying, I think you can wait till Wednesday, show up. Would, would you take some folks if they just needed to see Jesus at work and, and go watch uh, a group of that started with five or six junior hires They've been having 35 to 40 junior hires 
and a bunch of them have been giving their lives to Jesus, and now they're like excited to see their friends come to faith in Christ. Oh yeah, Jesus, you're up to stuff. You're still alive. You're still active. You're still moving. You're still working. You understand? So you got to look around and note, where's Jesus moving and active? Uh, I can get you signed up for a week at Pleasant Valley Bible Camp. Almost every year when I went there to speak, 20, 30, 40 kids gave their lives to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Uh, maybe you need to sign up the end of June summer camp here at church. Almost every summer, lots of our very own children become followers of Jesus at summer camp. You understand? If you just sit and, and you're kind of isolated and lonely and you don't see Jesus at work, it's only going to get worse. The doubt, the confusion will build and will grow. You, you need to look out and look at the evidence and take note of what Jesus is accomplishing around you. So, let's uh, summarize here for a minute. When you're in the prison of suffering, who do you look to? Answer? About half of you got it. Uh, rest of you, you're still wishing you went to Florida. Uh, come on, you're not suffering. Good stuff. Staycation, right? Uh, when, when you're suffering and the bottom is dropped out and you're in this awful season, who do you look to? You look to? Nice job. Yeah. Then, after you look to Jesus, then you look to the cross. Oh, yeah. I remember what you accomplished for me on the cross. The greatest demonstration of love in all of history. You took my place. You took my nails. You shed your blood because I'm a great sinner. And, I, and it didn't end there, right? And, and I remember what you did when you didn't stay dead, Jesus. You literally, bodily, physically, what did he do? Came out of the grave and he did that for me and you. Defeated sin and Satan and death. Greatest demonstration of power in all of history. That empty tomb. Jesus is not dead anymore. He's alive. Uh, Jesus seemed to John like he didn't care. John was in this really bad situation, and it was painful, and it was awful, and I could take you to Matthew chapter 14. Here's your homework. Uh, the first part of Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 12, and if you're looking for happy endings, don't read it, okay? Okay, because it didn't get better, except in this sense, John did get promoted. So you need, to, you need to know that. He is going to get a big promotion, but uh, it's going to be promotion the hard way. If you're here today and you're in a season of suffering, look at verse 6. I just want to say this to you. Don't stumble and fall over the hard stuff that Jesus is allowing in your life. I get it. John got it. We all have hard stuff that Jesus allows in our life. I've said this before. Jesus is never late, but he's rarely early. He's never late. He wasn't late in John's life, but he wasn't early either. Rarely early. He knows what he's doing. He loves you. Turn to Jesus. Remember what he's done. 
Look around for the activity of Jesus in your life today. Hold on tight. Get on your knees. Get on your face. And start doing it now. Because when the season of suffering comes, you, you need to be practiced up, right? You need to know where to go and how to cry out. And now here we go, Lord. Hold on tight. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes. Situation is not changing, seems God not answering your prayer, beginning to feel hopeless. Here are the facts. <laughs> Jesus knows your name and he knows what he's doing. I know your feelings don't agree, but it's a fact. He knows your name, he knows what he's doing, and your trouble is not a reflection about how Jesus feels about you. Anybody say, you know, I, I think you're talking to me today, Pastor Jeff. feels like I'm in this season of my life, and it feels like it's never going to end. feels like Jesus has forgotten me. He's not answering my prayers. I can identify a lot with John the Baptist today. That's you. First of all, remember who to turn to. He has a name, Jesus Christ. He's the one who has the answers. He's the one who has the grace and the comfort to get you through your time of need. So if that's you today, would you look back to the cross with me? Greatest demonstration of love in all of history Jesus took the nails for you, the nails that you deserved, that I deserved. Would you look back to the empty tomb with me right now? Literally, bodily, physically, Jesus arose from the dead for you. He defeated sin and Satan and death by coming out of that, that tomb and arising from that tomb, and he did that for you. Greatest demonstration of power Finally, would you look around today and ask Jesus to show you? Lord, show me where you're active and working and alive today, April 2nd, 2017. Help me to see your, your sovereign, powerful hand working around me. Lord, if I need to get involved, if I need to jump in, if I need to join Pastor Brandt, if I need to see you active and evidence of your working around me, Lord, uh, show me where to jump in. Lord, help us not to stumble because of the hard things that we face. Give us the courage to press on, to trust you, Lord, especially when it's hard and painful. Watch over my friends who are right now in the middle of it. And Lord, for those of us our turn's coming up just down the road. Would you prepare us? We pray all of these things in the awesome and amazing name of your
your son, Jesus Christ.